0: Hey, before we get going today on the Stopping to Think podcast, I just wanted to give you a heads up. We had some audio issues during my interview with Pete Rogers, uh, but this is a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate Pete joining me on the podcast today, and so I hope you'll bear with me through. I tried to fix most of the issues, but to the extent that I couldn't, uh, I think it's worth, worth working your way through it. So thanks for listening, and I uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Stopping to Think Podcast. I'm your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you've got if you're enjoying the show, uh, go ahead and give us a rate or a view on iTunes or wherever you're listening. That really helps the show out. And today I have with me a guest, Pete Rogers. And Pete is an award winning outdoor writer, speaker, author, and the host of the Christian Outdoors Podcast. He's published over a thousand outdoor articles and authored six books. Two of his books have earned Outdoor Book of the Year awards, and his first Christian book, Do You Enjoy God? Twelve Steps to Enjoying God Every Day, was released in 2021. So welcome to the Stopping to Think podcast, Pete Rogers.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Will. I really appreciate you to, uh, inviting me to be on your show. I really good.
0: Yeah. Uh, before we get too far in, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Uh, it says there on your bio that you attended seminary, what led you to, to do that.
1: Uh, yes, I did. Uh, I went to Erskine Theological Seminary, which is a small um, ARP seminary here, not far from where I live in upstate South Carolina. And it was really just part of a process of entering the ministry. Uh, I felt a call to ministry as a young man and wasn't really sure what to do with it. And after a uh, some discussions, I guess you will, um, with my pastor, as uh, what the process was. Cause I grew up United Methodist. And so there was a, a pretty lengthy process that they have for entering the ministry, one of which requires a seminary education. And so I did my undergraduate at University of South Carolina, where I finished, and then I went straight into Erskine Theological Seminary and did three years there to earn my Master's of Divinity degree. And I, it was one of the best experiences of my life, Will. It really was. It was... Uh, I think Erskine is exactly where Pete needed to be at that time in his life. A small school, uh, you know, we had 20 kids uh, or adults really in, in the class. And one of the unique things about that seminary I like to tell people whenever I'm encouraging them to consider it is, is even though it's a Associate Reformed Presbyterian seminary and you're going to get that Reformed theology, right, in some of the classes, but we had in our class... We had every flavor of Baptist, um, every flavor of Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopalians, Assemblies of God, Church of God, uh, all in the same class. And I found that exhilarating in the fact that it really required you to really know where you were and why you were there theologically Um, because you're being challenged daily from these other other men who are seeking God at the same time and and trying to discern what does the scripture say and, and what has the church historically said and and then you get this pushback at times from people who, who see scripture differently than than you do. And uh and to me that was one of the greatest benefits of being in seminary was this isn't just what I think about what the Bible says you had to really dig into it and and come up with a solid way to defend your position and, and do it in a way that was not uh, argumentative or defensive or, you know, arrogant. But this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. So I, I found it to be very, very good experience for, for me to be able to attend to that specific seminary.
0: Yeah, that's great. So how, where did you go from there? Did you end up going into ministry, or what kind of career path did you end up taking?
1: I actually did. Uh, I served 12 years in different churches in the Methodist Church here in South Carolina, and um, for those who are, who, who live, listening may not understand how the Methodist Church works, is is you are assigned churches rather than going and find your own. So the bishop in the cabinet, uh, which is made up of districts, is just geographical areas. All right. And like a bishop is over a geographical area, and and it's his responsibility to make sure that all the churches are served with appropriate pastors, and that pastors are serving churches that are appropriate for their gifts and graces. And so, to do that, historically, what the Methodist Church has done is they will move pastors every X number of years, and it varies because it's changed a lot throughout the years, will, as to how they go about it. But but you are, are, are sent to two different churches within that conference that the bishop presides over. And in my state, it happens to be the entire state. Um, like Georgia has two different conferences and Tennessee has three. So it just depends on a geographical area. Uh, but, yeah, I did. I served three different churches here in South Carolina before, um, before I got out of the ministry uh, or the of pastorate is what I call it and decided god opened other doors for me to to pursue and it has been a a uh, a good ride since then and that's really when my writing career kicked off at the same time
0: yeah that's great this isn't one of the questions i told you i'd ask but i'm uh, just curious like what what was the thing that you enjoyed most about pastoral ministry
1: i love that question thank you for asking it is what i love the most are the people um I did a series on my podcast a few uh, I think it was in January uh, about pastoring churches and I had other pastors on here and we were reminiscing about that. And what I really enjoyed the most is getting to really be build relationships with your with your parishioners, with the people of your community and sitting on the porch and having a glass of cold iced tea and listening to them talk about their grandchildren or talk about the old days, if you will, or talk about the struggles in their life. And, and that, that interpersonal connectiveness that you have as a pastor, I think when a pastor is, is really, um, building those relationships with his congregation, then you become a much more effective pastor. You're no longer just a preacher on Sunday morning. Now, now you are their pastor and you, and you're able to share with them through all of life's journeys, whether they're, you know, um, going through a very difficult time from losing a job or a spouse or whether things are going great, you know, and their crops came in and everything was great. And, and cause I, i pastored mostly rural areas and farming communities. Uh, that's what I really enjoyed the most was those interpersonal relationships that you build with the people of your church and your community.
0: That's really helpful. I, so you said you mostly pastored in rural areas. What do you feel was unique about that experience of of ministering in a rural area?
1: What I f- liked about it was that there were here in South Carolina that is that yeah, there were multiple generations usually in very close proximity with one another. So it was the the classic family farm. farm. Now these were big farms. Okay, it wasn't your forty acres in the mule farm. These farms farmers you know farmed hundreds if not thousands of acres and so there were um i remember for one family uh it was it's it's funny because the grandfather's name was johnny pitts and his son was johnny pitts and his son was johnny pitts and whenever whenever somebody would talk to you about johnny pitts you had no <laughs> idea <laughs> which one they were referring to. absolutely no clue which one so you'd have to listen to most of the stories oh you're talking about old johnny pitts not young johnny pitts or middle johnny pitts um but you know in that situation three generations on the same farm and and doing these these different things and i just love that uh where where you had this this strong family connectiveness among the people and 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 how they were just uh just solid family groups and that to me that's one of the things i think cuz now i live in suburbia right and that's one of the things that i find missing in suburbia is that is people are geographically distanced from their extended family hmm. and in a lot of cases at least in my area will here in upstate south carolina we have all these little cookie cutter neighborhoods and people don't even know the guy across the street or the one right next door to him and they're only 30 feet away from him you know as far as the, the house spacing goes and i think that's something that 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 i miss by serving in churches is those the, those really tight family bonds that you as pastor become a part of. So instead of just being a part of the Pitts family, I was also a part of all these other families as well. And, uh, and that's just the, the greatest part of pastoring in my, in my opinion is, is building those close relationships. And I am very close to people in every church that i served even today. And, and I mean, we see each other regularly. A lot of them were invited to my daughter's wedding this past weekend and they came and, even though I may not have passed her there for thirty years, um, they you know we're still very very close because of those relationships. But that's what I like the most about the rural setting, I guess, is the is the tight knit extended families. Mm. Uh,
0: that's great. Maybe that's a decent transition to what I told you. We we're going to talk about uh, the topic of your last book was uh, enjoying about enjoying God, and so why why do you think it's important for Christians to enjoy God?
1: I think it's essential. I think it's really what God wants us to do. And and let me, if if I may expound on that, the way that this came about was, as somebody who went to seminary, I'm kind of a theologian nerd. I like to read theology. Uh, for a lot of people, that's an insomnia cure, cure. but for me, it's, it's invigorating. And back in 2014, Will, I was reading the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a uh, a tool of the presbyterian church in scotland back in 1629 that they wrote to teach people about who god is what who the holy spirit is who jesus is and what our role in that is and it's it's written in a question and answer format and the first question of that is what is the chief end of mankind and you, again this was written in 1600 so i guess in today's language that would be what is your purpose what is the purpose for humanity,
0: yeah, I think the Americanized version is what is man's primary purpose, right,
1: right, right, and the answer to that is the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, and when I read that, well it just it it just struck me and to enjoy him forever, and I thought, do they mean after we get to heaven, we get to enjoy God forever? And, I, and as I pondered that over several weeks, I realized that for me, I don't think that's true. I think forever starts now. It doesn't start after we die and we go to heaven. Right. And if our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, I asked myself, am I enjoying God today? And I realized through some careful self-examination that I probably wasn't, that I was you know, acknowledging God and I was was recognizing God, I worship God, I love God, I fear God, and at times I tolerate God, but was I really enjoying him on a deeply intimate personal level? And I realized that I wasn't. And if that's the chief purpose that I have, why aren't I? So how do I go about doing that? And it started me on this journey of intentionally trying to enjoy God every single day to the point where, when I wake up in the morning and, and after coffee, of course, because that's what helps me wake up, then I ask myself, how am I going to enjoy God today? With with I look at my calendar. This is what I have to do. How can I enjoy God through all these processes? And it has become the forethought of my mind every day of, Pete, you need to enjoy God today. And I started telling my children. Uh, I have five children. Three were living at home at the time. Um. And I started telling them when I'd send them off to school. I always, uh, I used to always say, "Make a difference today." But then I added to it, "Make a difference today and enjoy God today." And they got, you know, have kids—they roll their eyes at you, yeah, whatever, Dad. And they go. But it started after a while. It started sticking with them. And I'd ask them at the dinner table, "How did you enjoy God today?" And we would share that, and it became such a driving force in my life that I saw that I was becoming a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better follower of Christ by just trying to enjoy God, not just acknowledge him, not just recognize his His beauty and creation, but to intimately enjoy him today. And And so in that, Will, is where my podcast came from and also where the book came from is if i'm trying to enjoy god today how can i help other people enjoy god today how can i help other people see how this has blessed me and maybe it can bless you as well and again if that's our purpose for being here if god created us to glorify him and to enjoy him then why are we enjoying him
0: oh that's fantastic how what what's a practical way that I mean? So you're asking that question. You're you're asking when you get up in the morning, like how can I enjoy God today? And you said you're kind of passing that along to your kids by asking them that same question. Well, what what are practical ways that you try to go about enjoying God?
1: Um, the way I do it, and again, it's a it's a day by day, moment by moment event is when I interact with other people. I try to keep in my mind that I am an image bearer of the creator and so are they. And I, I look at people more intently now instead of just, well, there's a sea of, of, of humanity at the grocery store or at the gas station. I look across and I did that this morning. I was getting fuel in my truck and I looked across and saw uh, another person getting fuel and I made eye contact with him and waved. Right, and a lot of people get uncomfortable with eye contact for some reason. I've never understood that. I guess I'm a southern man, and and we're hospitable people down here, right? Um, and I thought, well, that person, and I said to myself, "There's someone created in God's image," and that's a practical thing that I do is I look at people, and I don't care how different they are. I don't care, you know, what gender, what you know, or anything, ethnicity. It, it doesn't matter. They're created in God's image, and. God loves them with the same passion that he loves me. And if he can love them that way, why can't I love them that way? Right. And, and and so that's one practical thing that I do is I try to make sure that I'm intentional with every person I come in contact with. If I'm, if I'm getting lunch out at a at a local diner or a, a one of these little restaurants around here, then I make sure that I, I don't just ignore the server. I speak to them. Uh, Try to have a brief conversation with them. Let them know that they are valuable and they are important. And we can do that in so many simple ways. A smile. Like yesterday, um no, that was Memorial Day. I guess it was Friday. I took my two sons out uh to go for lunch. And the little waitress comes up and I says, So how's your day been so far? And she just went from autopilot of just writing down, you know, what do you want to drink? But, to, she stopped and looked at us and started talking to us. And I said, well, that's just being intentional. And I think that that's the key to it right there, Will, is just being intentional in everything that you do, and every person that, that you come in contact with, to recognize that, they, that God loves them and that they may be having the worst day in the world. And we're not going to know it, but what we can do is we can try to make it a, just a little bit better in the few seconds of interaction that we have with them.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, sometimes we can think about these things and it sounds so abstract and far away, but I mean, it's what you're talking about. It's just practical, intentionally living like we believe what the Bible says, that people are made in the image of God and uh, that they matter to him and they should matter to us too.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely
0: so your your podcast is the Christian Outdoors podcast, and uh your your bio says that you've you've written over a thousand articles and had over four thousand pictures published in outdoor publications. Uh, what role does the outdoors play in your life, and how does that interact with your faith and your enjoyment of God?
1: Well, the outdoors interacts in my life in a lot of ways. One is my my real job is I work for the United States Department of Agriculture and, and so I am out out in the woods. 300 days a year for my real job. And then in addition to that, I because um, I do nuisance wildlife control uh, with the USDA, and then I also love to hunt and fish and hike and backpack and camp and, and, and all that. So back in the late 90s, I've always written stuff. I'd never sent it in to anybody. And I had just returned recently from a trip to Alaska with some friends to hunt moose And I got back and I wrote a little story about it and sent it to the guys I was with. And one of them encouraged me to, he said, Pete, man, you got a really good gift for writing. I said, well, thank you, but yeah, whatever. And I thought he was just being nice. So I started thinking about it and said, well, I wonder if I could get get published in a magazine. So long story short, I started sending some stuff. This was before email, too, where we had to put stuff in an envelope and a stamp and mail it. Wait six the, weeks for a response? The good old days. Oh, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least they responded most of the time. And I had a big file of rejection letters. Um, thank you, but no thank you. But long story, even longer, uh, I, I stuck with it, and I continued to do it, and I got one story published, and then I got another one and another one. And, and you know, here 22, 23 years later, you know, I my best years I have done 130, 140 stories in one year. It's probably my best. Uh, I average somewhere around 70 to to 100 now for all these different outlets. I'm a freelance writer. I'm not not on staff with anybody. And I I write mostly about hunting and fishing stuff because that's who buys the material that, that I write. And when I do seminars on outdoor careers, one of the things I tell them is I write what people will buy so I can afford to write what I enjoy. So these publications that I write for by this specific style of writing, um, what's known as hook and bullet, uh, you know how to catch stuff and how to hunt stuff, and and so I sell stuff to them so I can write the books that I've written, which is a type of writing that magazines don't publish anymore. So of the five outdoor books I've written, you know those have done very well, and it's the more of a style of writing that I enjoy, um, but. Yeah, so that the, the outdoor writing is something that I really enjoy because I get to talk about all my experiences. I get to, I, I'm blessed that I get to go and do a lot of the things I've always dreamed of doing by uh, by being able to write about it. And uh, yeah, it's just been a good ride. It, it really has. Um, the industry has changed a lot in the 22 years that, that I'm doing it to the point, just so a listener will understand this, um, in 2000, I sold a story to a national magazine and was paid 15 times more than what you can sell that magazine story for today. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. It really is. It really is. It's to 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 the point that the only full-time outdoor riders, freelance outdoor riders you see are in their 70s because they just don't want to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, they. The, the industry pays so poorly anymore that you just can't afford to do it full time if you have to support yourself and a family yeah, you just can't I mean they used to pay three thousand dollars for a store they pay one hundred and fifty now and and it's just uh yeah it's crazy and just, whether it's a digital magazine whether it's a, a print publication it really doesn't matter uh it's just it's just odd that as inflation has gone up the prices have gone down drastically.
0: <laughs> how how much do you think of that is just the advent of the internet and the the fact that we expect so much to come for free?
1: I think the free is the big part with with social media and blogging um because people write blogs about everything and anything and you can just easily go get whatever information you want from the internet. It may not be accurate information, it's probably not good information, but it's information. And that's one of the things that's really hard for publishers and for the general public to get a hold of, they think that any information is good inf- information, but it's not. Right. Um, even in the you know in the hunting and fishing world in which I write mostly about, uh, is I have read stories on things that are a hundred and eighty degrees from what any biologist or any person that's done it would recommend that you do. Uh, well, this person just thinks this is right and they go and write about it and people read it and they take it for the gospel when research and and uh, interviewing quality people and getting the, the facts and putting that together takes a lot more work and writing good cohesive prose is a lot higher skill than just putting your thoughts down on paper and I think it's just watered down the the whole process um, the whole industry, magazines. I'll talk really quickly about print magazines. They thrive off of advertising. They, mm-hmm. they just the, the advertising dollars what pays for the printing and the circulation, and advertisers no longer see the value in print publications because they can put stuff on Facebook and Instagram for free, at, or very very low cost, and put it in front of, you know. Let's say Will has forty thousand followers on Facebook and Will post something about uh this widget that does the greatest thing in the world. Well, forty thousand people saw that and it didn't cost them anything except whatever they gave Will they gave Will a free widget and right? it cost them nothing. If you put that in a magazine, it's gonna cost them, you know, seven or eight thousand dollars for a full page ad to run in a national magazine. Right. Well, I can give Will I can give Will a free widget for fifteen bucks, and it gets to forty thousand people. I think where the, the and all the marketing majors out there can correct me on this is they're doing mass exposure instead of quality exposure. Because of, the, of those forty thousand people, how many of them are actually going to use the widget?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: None, you know. Um, whereas if you pick up a magazine, you intentionally bought that magazine because there's something in it that interests you and you intentionally read through it and that article or that advertisement states there as uh, as one well-known writer said the the beauty of a magazine is people keep them (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. if it's read online it's gone as soon as you change the page you don't remember most of it it's never there but you go to any well doctor's offices don't have them anymore but you know you go to any place just about public setting there's old magazines laying around everywhere you know i have some in, in one of my cabins i was cleaning out actually and it was from 2012 yep uh, and it's still sitting there and the ad is still there
0: right? yeah that would be much to my wife's chagrin all the old magazines <laughs> i have laying around
1: absolutely i deal with that just as just as much as you do um but yeah the, the, the industry has just changed a lot and so the majority of who I write for now are actually what's called digital magazines. It looks just like a paper magazine, but it's but you read it on your phone or on your laptop or your desktop.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it exactly. What What is, how would you describe the difference? You, you noted the difference between the kind of writing that you do because it sells and the kind of writing that you do because you enjoy it. What would be the difference between those two?
1: Well, the kind of stuff that sells nowadays in outdoor publication is the how to, where to, like like uh, let's say I'm writing about catching catfish in Santee Cooper Lakes. I'm going to tell you where to go. I'm going to tell you how to do it. There's there's very little um, excitement in the story. There's there, there's no adventure. There's there's no um, captivating storyline. It's just regurgitating. You want to go here on this GPS coordinate. You want to put a hot dog on a hook, throw it out. When the wind's blowing out of the east and wait, and when you get a bite, you bring it in. It's very um, academic and not exciting writing. I like the kind of writing I enjoy writing is the stuff I read back in the 70s and 80s growing up is when you read one of my stories from um, one of my outdoor books, I want you to feel the breeze on the face as I'm sitting on the side of the mountain and I'm telling you what I'm looking at. I want you to smell the fragrance that I'm smelling. I want, I want you to, to, in your mind, to be transported to that spot and feel the same things that I'm feeling and experience what I am. And that kind of writing doesn't sell in magazines anymore. It used to. That used to be the bread and butter. Of the outdoor magazine. That's what got me hooked into the outdoors, was reading this stuff. Because I right. wasn't an outdoorsman. And not not at all. He wasn't an outdoorsman at at all. But I picked up a magazine one day. I started reading. I said, man, that sounds awesome. And I can remember reading a story specifically about this guy. Ted Caruso wrote it in Sports Field, about getting on an airplane and flying into some remote lake in Canada, landing on the water and fishing for a week and catching, you know, 300, 400 fish a day because nobody had fished this lake in, you know, years. It's a remote place. That has got to be the most fun thing in the world to do. And and I've been able to do it. And he's right. It is the most fun thing in the world to do. It is <laughs> so awesome. They fly you out there. You land on the lake. They drop you off. There's a cabin to stay in. You get to fish. For walleye and northern pike and smallmouth bass, and you're catching them by the hundreds till you're just sick of catching them, and you cook them up on the bank and you spend the night and do it again tomorrow. You know, no cell service, and there's, it, it, it's it's absolutely a wonderful experience. Uh, um, and that kind of adventure writing is just not it's not prevalent anymore. But I also like to write about the everyday stuff too. Um, I like to write about the the wonder of it all of of just things that we take for granted that are a part of our every single day. And I wrap it up into these, into these stories. I guess you would call it, I said all that to say this, good storytelling, Mm -hmm. you know, good storytelling. And, um, there are people who are far, far greater than, than I am at it, but I like trying to do it. And, uh, uh, people seem to resonate with many of the things that I'm able to write that way.
0: Uh. It strikes me as I'm listening to you talk. There, I you mean, you're you're talking about how the the industry wants essentially blog posts: seven steps to do this, five steps to do that. Here's where you go. Here's what you do. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the kind of writing you're talking about has a narrative arc, mm-hmm. and there there is a, a story, and you're you're doing storytelling. And at the same time, that's that's not just affecting the way outdoor writing is moving. It it also it affects the way as Christians, people come to the Bible. Like, absolutely. you know, we're, we're looking for the Bible to give us six steps to do this and eight steps to do that. And so much of scripture isn't that, you know, there's wisdom literature, it's narrative, it's poetry, and there's just uh-huh. uh, an invitation to come and reflect and think about what is the arc of this story? Where is it moving? And we just live in a society that wants everything in a microwave.
1: We do, and that, and you'll notice the subtitle of my, of my book, Do You Enjoy God, Twelve Steps to Enjoying God Every Day. That was intentional no, to put it in there, to put it on the title, so people would say, boom, 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 that this is how people have been trained to think. Yeah. Right? But if you pick it up and read it, okay, it's not written in a step-by-step manner. These are things that you can do to help you enjoy God, but it's not a step one, step two, step three. It's just hmm. 12 chapters about different ways in which we enjoy God. But that's on the title as marketing. Yeah. Cause that's what people want. I want 12, all right, 12 steps. It's only a hundred and I oh, don't you know how many pages I got or What, like 110 pages? It's not very much. And that's something else in modern writing outside of a novel. If it's 30,000 words or more, people won't pick it up. Yeah, which is 115 pages. My book's 115 pages. So, when it comes to those type books, you got to keep it under 125, 130 pages for people to read it. Yeah, it, because they want it right now, right now, fast, 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 fast. And and my my book has on Amazon is is listed as one of the the top book. it's uh, trying to think of how they say it will uh, under two hours. Okay. One of the top Christian books that you can read in under two hours, and the audio book that, that I record is like two hours and fourteen minutes, and you know, and and so that all that is intentional, and it's hard to do when there's so much to say, mm-hmm. and you gotta, and you gotta try to get it in a in a very short, concise manner, which to me is much more difficult than a um, a five hundred page novel. Which is just regurgit, just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, you read any novel, and as a writer, I can say this, and I've written novels that I haven't submitted to anybody, but just for the practice of writing fiction, is you'll have a hundred pages of setting the plot, a hundred pages of nothing, and then a hundred pages of closing the plot.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean just think about the next novel you read. This stuff in the middle really isn't adding anything. You threw in a couple of characters, they came, they went, but it didn't add anything to the story. Oh, now we're picking back up the story yeah. and of course as a writer I'm analyzing the writing as I'm reading it. Right. You see. You know. That's the drawback of being a writer. You can't just enjoy just reading.
0: It. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, slightly different, but I, I remember listening to one uh, prominent preacher saying, "Every time you're listening to a sermon, you're 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 listening as a preacher. You're listening with two hats. You're listening to appreciate and you're listening to analyze. How did he do that? Did it work? Is it good? Yes. Yes. Um And I feel, yeah, I feel the same anyway. way when I'm reading.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or or when I preached that text, I went this way and he went that way. Wow, I wouldn't have thought about going." You're doing that whenever you're listening as a preacher, yep. to a preacher. Well, the last time I preached on that text, I focused on this, and he's focused on that, and so you can get something else out of it mm-hmm. as well. But, but you're right; you are always analyzing it at the same time.
0: Yeah. So you you talk about like you were drawn to the outdoors through that kind of uh, narrative writing. Who are some of your favorite outdoor writers?
1: Gene Hill is my favorite. He's deceased now, um, but he is uh, uh, just a phenomenal descriptive writer, and he he writes the style that I was trying to explain that I try to write, um, and Gene, Gene Hill got famous. He was the uh, back page. If you remember back in the old magazines, there was always a back page where it was just a one-page essay, if you will, and he did that for Field and Stream and Guns and Ammo for 30-something years. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, he died in his 50s, so he, you know, he died way too young. But he is one of my favorites, and so is Robert Rourke. And if anybody's listening, I would recommend from Gene Hill um, called Hill Country. That's my favorite of the, all of his books that, that I've read many times. And Robert Rourke is the old man and the boy. Probably the best piece of outdoor uh, writing ever composed the old man and the boy by robert rourke it's spelled funny it's r-u-a-r-k like ruark but it's pronounced Rourke. um and he wrote he wrote that in the 50s the the old man is his grandfather and the boy is him and he's telling these stories of how his grandfather taught him all these things about becoming a man being an out being a hunter being safe and about the outdoors it is a fabulous book. I'm actually rereading it again right now. I don't know how many times I've read it, but it's it's on my bedside table right now. I'm reading it again. It is so good. Those are two of my favorites right there.
0: That's great. Maybe could you recommend one? You said you're a theology nerd. What would be your favorite uh, book of theology or one that you'd recommend to the audience? Oh wow! I just
1: had 15 titles running through my head when you said that. <laughs> You're going to have to give me a second to think because there's a lot. It, it depends. Do you like theology or do you like uh, uh, reading about you know life application scripture stuff? Um, this book, do you enjoy?
0: God's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to give you a moment to plug that later right. on, but <laughs> all, right. all right, we'll come back to that one.
1: We'll come back to that one. Um, I think when it comes to if you like theology. It's oh – how do you pronounce his name? Um, oh, gosh, it just left me. Starts with an S. Sturgeon. Hmm. I really like reading Sturgeon and C.S. Lewis are are probably my two favorite. Uh, Spurgeon. Is it Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon. Yeah, Charles Spurgeon yep. and C.S. Lewis are my two favorites. Um, and a lot of people don't put C.S. Lewis – in as a theologian but I do because his Mere Christianity is a, it is a fascinating fascinatingly simply written book about what it means to follow Jesus
0: mm-hmm.
1: it is you know I don't know I'm sure I'm sure you've read it but if yep. a listener hasn't hasn't read Mere Christianity I would highly recommend that one and it's not very long either it's only like 150 pages You know, it's, it's, but it's it's one that for Pete well, when I'm reading it, I have to read three or four sentences, then read them again. Because hmm. he, he's so deep, but yet so simple. He's a very, very gifted writer.
0: Yeah, he's one that I come, like, I find, I find the ideas are sitting latent in my mind. Even though I've only read them once or twice, I find I come back to them a lot. You know, just, yes. you know, the... I don't remember which chapter it is where he comes back. He, he, he describes our appetites as being not too strong, but too weak. And, you know, Christians, we often think about, Oh, we have, you know, lusts or too strong desires when actually we're being satisfied with earthly things rather than the eternal things that we were designed for. And it's just arguments like that, that are really profound and, and have really been formative for me.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Very profound. And yet simply put, and, uh, I think that was his greatest gift, it was that he could communicate very complex thoughts to in, in a very simple way. And uh and I you know we're not supposed to covet things, but that's something I could, <laughs> you know. Being able to d to, to do that and to communicate that uh so that anybody can understand
0: it. Yeah. Have you read much of his fiction? I have. Uh I have,
1: yes. Yeah. I, the Great Divorce was a, is a really good one, but but his Narnia stuff, I, of course, I read those to my kids when my kids were growing up. The Narnia movies were were coming out, but uh, so we we watched them, but we also read them. But very profound.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Great Divorce is probably the book I've read more than any other book, not named the Bible, and till we have faces, I think is probably the one of the best novels I've ever read. But
1: I don't think I've read that
0: one. It's his retelling of the myth of Cupid and Psyche. It's. Uh. It's, it's when you've got to chew on, but it's good. So
1: I, I will definitely look that one up.
0: Anyway, well, thank you so much for your time, Pete. Is there, like, what would be a place for folks to find out more about you? Tell us a little bit about your book. Uh, how can people follow on your work?
1: Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I have a website called christianoutdoors.org, and my, my podcast is Christian Outdoors. It's available on, on all podcast platforms. Uh, doing really well, over two hundred thousand subscribers now, and growing. Um, my book is "Do You Enjoy God?" Twelve Steps to Enjoying God, but every day it's available on Amazon, in an audio book, in a Kindle version, and paperback. I have paperback books that you can buy directly from me from my website if you want me to sign it for you. I can do that. You just you know, whenever you order, it, just put it in the notes that you want this made out to, you know, to Will, and and I can do that, and i would be glad to mail it to you. Um, all, all of my outdoor books are there as well. And, uh, they're all available on my website again, that's christianoutdoors.org and on Facebook and Instagram, it's all under Pete Rogers or Christian Outdoors. It's under both. I, I keep both of them going all the time. So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Pete, for joining us on the Stopping to Think podcast today. This has been Stopping to Think. I'm your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening.